Welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. I am your host, Peter Komalafe. This is where we talk about money and all things personal finance, where we help you make the best financial decisions possible because money is a tool and life is for living. Good morning. So we're going to talk about the future of investing. And I want to do so from a perspective which I think is being underreported in Western media. It certainly feels as though it's flying under the radar. And as we speak, there are huge seismic shifts happening geopolitically, which will ultimately impact where money is deployed and how money is invested globally. And I think as retail investors, we have to be aware of what's going on so that we can determine how we place our money as retail investors and the choices that we're going to have to make in the future. And this is particularly pertinent if you're trying to invest and your goal is to invest for the long term to create wealth. Now, just to let you know, this episode of the podcast is going to be available on YouTube at 12 p.m. There's a lot of stuff I want to play for you to get through this. Um, So if you are listening on Apple, Spotify, or any of the good podcast outlets, I'm going to be referencing things that you may need to see. So do bookmark this. And if you have a, a spare moment, head over to YouTube and watch the full video. This will be really, really, really helpful if you're invested right now. Look, we cannot start this conversation without talking about BRICS. Now, if you don't know what BRICS basically stands for, it is a group of companies that have come together to trade as a block. Think of the EU, but slightly smaller when it started out. And when it started out being the operative word here. So BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. I have spoken about them previously on YouTube. Now, you may look at those five group of company countries and think, eh, they're not they're not that big, they're not that impressive, but this is where you would be wrong. And in fact, the concept of BRICS is not one that is new. It may feel like it's new if you've heard about it in the news recently, but it's something that's been happening now for a very, very long time, over a decade. And actually, the term BRICS was first coined by a guy called Jim O'Neill, who worked for uh, Goldman Sachs, who is obviously one of the big investment players, the directors of, of cash in the investment world, right? They control a lot of capital. We'll be talking about Jim a little bit later on. But essentially, the BRICS countries, so Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, their influence is growing more and more across the global stage. And just to illustrate this, I want to play you this clip right here, just to kind of give you an indication of how much their influence has grown. Well, it finally happened. BRICS just overtook the G7 for global share of GDP. Now, what on earth is BRICS, the thing we used to build houses with? Nope, it is actually an alliance between five countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, hence the acronym BRICS. These five countries are seen as being regional superpowers. The G7, on the other hand, stands for the Group of Seven, consisting of Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, the United States, and additionally, the EU as a non-member. The G7 accounts for around 10% of the world's population. Now, for some time, the G7 looked down at BRICS. It was barely even a threat. In the year 2000, BRICS's share of the world's total GDP was only around 17% or so whilst the G7's was around 42%. 
skip forward to March 2023, and the unthinkable has happened. BRICS has now overtaken the G7 in terms of global share of GDP. The current BRICS 5 now contribute to 31.5% of global GDP, whilst the G7's share has fallen to 30%. BRICS is expected to contribute over 50% of global GDP by 2030. China's GDP actually overtook that of the United States in 2015 when comparing economies in purchasing parity terms. Now, this is a really important point, and one of the things that really illustrates the influence of the BRICS nations across the world globally as we currently speak. For the first time in what feels like a very, very long time, we have seen that the BRICS nation have contributed more to the global, global GDP, so that's the global turnover, how much they contribute to the global economy for the first time. And this is likely to expand and continue to grow over the course of the next decade or two. And this is where when we start thinking about the future of investing and where things are likely to lead, we cannot ignore the BRICS nations and what threat that they basically present to the likes of the US, the US dollar, its primacy, um, and how we will ultimately be thinking about how we invest our money moving forward. Now, if you go and have a look at any of the data around the BRICS nations, it is it is intriguing to see what they've basically done. Now, clearly, we've talked about BRICS being the first five countries that we've mentioned on this list. Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. But over the past decade or so, they've done things like BRICS outreach. And the BRICS outreach has really been this initiative where they outreach to other countries to try and get them to actually join the block. Essentially, what they're building here is a, is a trading block, a group of companies, a countries that will trade together for the betterment of, obviously, their own societies, their own countries, but also the global economy. Now, I'm just going to show you a very briefly, and again, on, on, on Spotify or on Google, you won't be able to see this, but I'm going to read out the full list of countries that have applied to join the BRICS alliance uh, recently. And this is an extensive list. So take a look at this right here. So in addition to the five founder countries, the following countries, a total of about 23 altogether, have formally applied to join BRICS. And you can get this off Wikipedia. I'll put all of these links down in the comments and in the show notes that you can actually go and reference these. So starting at the top, we've got Algeria, we've got Argentina, we've got Bahrain, we've got Bangladesh, Belarus, Bolivia, Cuba, Egypt, Ethiopia, Honduras, Indonesia, Iran, Kazakhstan, Kuwait, Morocco, Nigeria, Palestine, Saudi Arabia, Senegal, Thailand, the United Emirates, uh, Arab UAE, United Arab Emirates, Venezuela, and Vietnam. Most of these have applied to join in 2023. Whether it is a coincidence that they've chosen or at least requested to join BRICS because the global share of GDP has now surpassed that of the G7, we can speculate that. But in addition to that, they also have countries like Afghanistan, Angola, Comoros, uh, the uh, Demo Democratic Republic of Congo, Gabon, Guinea-Bissau, Mexico, Nicaragua, Pakistan, Sudan, Syria, Tunisia, Turkey, Uganda, Uruguay, and Zimbabwe. To put it lightly, it is 
a collection of companies that started out to be only just five, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, which has now done such a great job in terms of their own economic growth and their global influence, that now this small trading block is attracting other countries who want to be part of this alliance. Now, we can't talk about the BRICS nations without trying to address directly what threat they have to the USA, because the USA has always been the most dominant economy in the world. And from an investing point of view, it's where you would pretty much put most of your eggs. Most investment portfolios have the largest exposure to the US economy. I hazard a guess that this is likely to change in coming years, as these economies, which have been regarded as emerging, com uh, emerging economies, begin to mature and begin to have more influence on the global stage, as we are seeing with their contribution to global GDP overtaking the G7. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about the G7 and the countries within them. The UK is actually part of the G7, as is the United States, Germany, France, as we've already heard on the episode so far. But when you look at the economic forecast for the countries within the BRICS nations right now, so Brazil, Russia, India, China, and S South Africa, it's really interesting to see for a couple of the how much they are forecast to growth to grow just over the next four quarters in comparison to the major players in the G7. So to just to illustrate this, I want to show you this, this stat right here. So for those of you who are listening to this on uh, Spotify or on Apple, I'm just going to read out the numbers so you can actually see um, what we're, you can hear what I'm referencing here. Now, what I'm looking at here is is uh, GDP, GDP annual growth rate. So this is what it looks like currently for China. So in Q3 of 2023, they are forecast to have a growth rate of 4.6%. In Q4 of 2023, 5.2%. In Q1, 5%. In Q2 of 2024, so Q1 of 2024, 5% and Q2 of 2024, 4.9%. Now I'm also going to show you the same numbers for another player in the uh, BRICS alliance. And I'm going to show you India specifically. So India, according to the forecast, so this is their GDP annual growth rate. In Q3 of 2023, 6.2%. In Q4 of 2023, 5.9%. In Q1 of 24 of 2024, 5.6%, and in Q2 of 2024, 6.4%. Now, naturally, the argument that most people will will label here is well, these are not efficient markets. And efficient markets is where you can verify data. There are certain rules that are set in place in order to make sure that forecasts that are coming out can be verified and they have a little bit of reliability behind them. And I think anyone will point the finger at China as being the first ones where you don't really know what's coming out. But even with, with that being said, the performance of the Chinese economy over the past decade has been phenomenal in terms of what they've done to grow their economy. And when you look at the graph, looking at India specifically as well, they have also had a very, very impressive economic performance. Now, I do want to contrast that performance, right? So let me just, let me just go back over those numbers. So India, we're talking about here. Q3, 
2023, 6.2%. Q4, 5.9%. Q1, 2024, 5.6%. Q4, Q2, sorry, 2024, 6.4%. Now, I do want to contrast this, and this will make for a really ugly reading with the UK. So our GDP annual growth rate in Q3 is minus 0.6%. In Q4 of 2023, 0.1%. In Q1 of 2024, 0.5%. And in Q2 of 2024, 0.9%. Now, you may argue and say, well, England, the UK is not the biggest economy in the G7. Well, let's have a look at the likes of Germany. Germany is the largest economy in Europe currently. Not in the G7, but in Europe. And this are these are the numbers for Germany. So GDP annual growth rate. Q3 for Germany, minus 0.3%. In Q4, 0.3%. In Q1 of 2024, 0.9%. And in Q2, they're going to get to 1%. That's Q2 of 2024. These numbers are staggeringly different to the numbers that are being forecast for India and China being probably the, the biggest economies within the BRICS block. And this is really, really significant and actually quite an important point. Now, whilst we in Europe are actually struggling and, you know, it was announced back in May. It was announced back in May, officially announced back in May, that economies like Germany are already in recession. We know this now from back in May this year. Germany falls into, in, falls into recession as inflation hits the economy. Consistent inflation has helped push Germany into, into recession for the first three months of this year, an upgrade to growth data shows. And this is Europe's largest economy. So the picture and the outlook is very, very different when you compare the growth that we're currently seeing across Europe. And we can spend all day comparing, going through the forecast for European countries and even the United States. Actually, let's take a moment and actually have a look at what the forecast looks like for countries like the United States in comparison to the likes of China and India, because these numbers are not too dissimilar either. These are the numbers for the United States as we currently speak in terms of their forecast. So again, GDP annual growth rate in Q3 of 2023, 0.6%. In Q4 2023, 0.3%. In Q1 of 2024, 1%. In Q2 of 2024, 0.1%. Now, a combination of these things is essentially where you see a threat to the US. And in order to talk about this, we do have to bring in other things that are happening globally and geopolitically at this point in time. So one of the things that is high on the BRICS agenda is, and this is stuff that has been going around in the news quite a bit, you have to go and seek alternative news stories to go find this out, is that potentially the BRICS nations are thinking about creating their own currency and creating their own payment system to reduce their reliance on the US dollar. 
Now, since the 1970s, the US dollar has been the world reserve backed by petrol, backed by the petro dollar. I did a video on this on YouTube probably about two months ago, and it it goes through the entire story of how the dollar was unpegged from gold. And in the 1970s, they struck the petrodollar agreement with Saudi Arabia for all oil sales to be uh, denominated in, in dollars. And the United States for the, for the past 50 odd years have used the fact that they have the world's reserve currency as a tool to levy sanctions against countries that don't necessarily play to their political will. And what the suggestion of this BRICS currency is going to do is essentially reduce the reliance of all of the, com the countries that are tied into this BRICS block on the US dollar. And we are already starting to see a shift away from the US dollar by a lot of these countries. Literally recently, uh, countries like Argentina announced that they're no longer going to be using the US dollar for trade. There is already agreement between Saudi Arabia and Chinese who imports around about $55 billion worth of oil. And remember, Saudi Arabia is the largest oil producer in the world. So $55 billion worth of oil is traded between Saudi Arabia and China each year. That is likely to increase. And they are talking about not settling the payment in US dollar anymore. In fact, they're thinking about using the yuan, the Chinese yuan. And this is a direct risk threat to the US and the US dollar. The US dollar has been losing primacy for some time now. And this is only going to accelerate and exacerbate things if the BRICS nations really get their act together and really, really put it out there and organize. And with the long list of countries that want to join the bloc and the fact that their, global, their contribution to global GDP has overtaken the G7 for the first time is a huge, huge catalyst. Now, interestingly, on that list of countries that I listed as wanting to join the BRICS alliance is Saudi Arabia. And that is a pretty big deal. Elsewhere in geopolitics earlier this year, Saudi Arabia and Iran are now talking. And look, we could do a separate podcast, a separate video on Saudi Arabia and Iran and how they've had such tense um, religious, political differences for decades. A deal was brokered between them to continue talking, to start talking to the point that they're actually going to have embassies in one another's countries for the first time in decades. The deal was brokered by Russia and China. Now, as we speak right now, we need also need to have a look at what's going on in Africa. Because a lot of the African countries are waking up. Case in point, Niger, Burkina Faso, and Mali. These are countries that have all of a sudden realized, particularly in the case of Burkina Faso, they have young leaders coming through who are realizing that our continent and our country is being exploited for our resources and we want our stuff back. We want to benefit as a nation. We want our people to benefit as citizens of this nation who are resource rich. And as we speak right now, Niger has literally decided to cut all supply of uranium and gold to France. Now, you may be asking, what does this mean for investing? I'll come to that in a moment, but it is a big deal. France is reliant on 
uranium from places like Niger to heat their homes. Now, we've recently gone through a cost of living crisis, right, where energy prices have, have, sawn, have just gone through the roof because of the war in Ukraine and the fact that Russia was sanctioned and therefore turned down the taps for power supply to Europe. This is likely going to get even worse now because in the case of Niger specifically, Nigeria, who is also one of the big uh, oil producers in this planet, on, on, on in the world, it's basically got a pipeline going from Nigeria through Niger, through Algeria, to the tip of uh, Africa and into Europe to supply liquid natural gas. And the people of Niger have just said, well, we are not allowing this pipeline to go through our country without being financially rewarded for the use of our land, particularly when the supply of gas that is going over to Europe isn't going to benefit our people here locally. France are not happy about any of this, to the point that ECOWAS are now threatening military action, which is essentially uh, encouraged by the United States and encouraged by France to happen. Now, they're not going to get their own hands dirty. They're not going to have French troops on African soil there to restore democracy, democracy, because the leaders of Niger have recently been, been overthrown because of this understanding that these leaders have been in cahoots with the likes of France, enriching themselves, but not really benefiting their people. And so there is a huge conflict that is likely to happen there. You have to pay attention to the news and stay abreast of what's happening right now. But the point here is, in amongst all of this upheaval and this turmoil, guess who's in the mix forging alliances, and in particular, forgiving billions in debt to these African countries who simply have now realized we want our resources not to be pillaged from us. We want our resources to benefit our nation and our people. Russia and China are in the mix. And this represents a huge geopolitical move, which also presents a huge threat to the United States. So when we talk about this and try and bring this all together, what is the future of investing? Because ultimately, if you look at where we've been for the past two, three decades, when you think about investing, you think about the US being the leader, the biggest economy in the world, the place where there are the most reliable com companies in the world. And for most investment portfolios, even in my career as a financial advisor and working for investment houses, you would tend to see US being the recipient of most investment funds for that inward investment. There's a lot that goes into this. We can talk about the, the, the loss of the supremacy of the dollar. If countries like Saudi Arabia really join the BRICS alliance and they decide to break the petrodollar, that is a huge factor in investing and what we need to be aware of and how investing will change in the future. Let alone all of the geopolitical stuff that I've just mentioned very, very briefly, briefly here in this episode. And so I think that ultimately, it's worthwhile keeping an eye on what the big boys are doing, the Goldman Sachs, the Black Rocks of this world. Because when BRICS was first coined by Jim O'Neill, almost over a decade ago, he was looking at 
who are the countries that are likely to be the front runners in terms of the highest contribution to global GDP, where their economies are growing and there'll be the new uh, opportunity to make money. And it's interesting, actually, when you hear Jim speak, even from about 10 years ago, I'm going to play a clip very, very shortly around what he actually thought was going to happen or likely to happen with BRICS nations um, in the future and the impact that they could actually have from a global point of view. Let me play this clip for you right now, just so you can hear what he said. And he said this over 10 years ago. We'll see whether this has actually come to pass or not. Uh, but they'll come to some kind of deal somehow. So a uh, couple of minutes when I could spend a couple of decades talking to you about the rather bizarre mess known as European Monetary Union. Uh, and I'm going to start off uh, with this picture, because again, also linking it back to my opening comments. Uh, the appearance uh, of, of the BRICS and the growth market economies, where they are creating the equivalent of another Italy or the UK every year, not surprisingly, is transforming patterns of world trade as well. Here is a picture uh, of German exports since 2007. Uh, and German exports to China uh, are, are a bit like uh, the rise of Manchester City Football Club, rather, <laughs> rather recent but big. In, in that case, that's annoying, and this isn't. Um, and linked to it, here is a table that shows you, uh, which again, I apologize for people at the back, you would not, I'm sure, be able to see this, but it shows you the share of German exports when EMU started in 2000, and again, year to date. And the third column shows you the change. And something I've just had my guys do in the past two weeks, uh, and, and rather intriguingly and potentially very worryingly for all those manic EMU supporters, something very disturbing. Because if we carry on with the same pattern of trade in the next eight years that we've had the past 12, you come to the following conclusion. That by 2020, Germany will have 25% of its exports to the BRIC countries. 15% of the total will be to China, nearly double the amount of exports to France. Uh, and I'm sure many of you who followed the theory of all this stuff, the strongest arguments uh, as to why EMU was created, if there were uh, economic grounds, was that the amount of trade that the European countries did with each other was so big, if you removed the, all the barriers, including the currency, that would result in such welfare and economic gains. We'd have this beautiful nirvana in Europe forever. It is unfortunately showing absolutely zero signs of happening. In fact, because of the rise of the BRICS, uh, something which no creator of EMU could have dreamt of is happening is that German companies would probably rather be in a monetary union with China by the end of the decade, not France. And that right there is an extremely telling point, particularly, and bearing in mind, that speech took place over 10 years ago. I think it was about 11 years ago. And if we look at the current export rate between Germany and China, you can see on this graph, if you're watching this here on YouTube, we have exports between Germany and China in 2021 reach $121 billion. 
dollars. And so this premise of how much trade do you do with your neighbors and your partners within the EU bloc and having that, as Jim said, an evergreen nirvana is not panning out to be true at all. And so what's the future of investing? I, I honestly do not know. I think there is going to be some kind of change. There has to be some kind of change given the rise of the BRICS nations and the sheer volume of, of countries that want to actually join that list. Now, not all of these countries are wealthy countries, for sure, 100%. But you need to, you need to simply look at the likes of the UAE, Saudi Arabia. You only need to have a look at those kind of economies and what they are doing, what they're planning to do. If you've been to Dubai, believe me, that place is an investment hub. It is absolutely mad how futuristic, futuristically minded they are in that part of the world. The same thing goes for Saudi Arabia. And in the West, we kind of have this, you know, uh, perception that it's that these countries are third world, that they are they're not as current or as modernized as we are. I, I beg to differ. We are sorely mistaken. And the reason why a lot of people have these views is because of our Western ideals. I'm sorry, but when it comes to investing, when it comes to, comes to money and making money, I doubt very much that the Goldman Sachs and the Black Rocks of this world will be looking into their cultural values when it comes to the equation of, can we make money? Investment houses like BlackRock and Goldman Sachs are there to make money. And I would not be surprised if over the next five to 10 years, we start to see a very, very subtle shift in terms of how these countries are classified. There will no longer be emerging markets. They'll be called something else. How they're classified, how their investment strategy shifts and moves so that they have particular strategies and portfolios dedicated to those those countries specifically, I would be not be surprised to see any of that happen. And so if you are a retail investor right now, my, my tip to you is use this as a means to do further research for you to really understand what is coming down the corner. People often ask me, what are the best stocks to pick right now? With everything that's happen, happening across the globe, geopolitically, I, I tell you what, right now, we've seen this to a certain extent in the, in the performance of these companies, but energy is going to be the new resource that everyone is going to be after. Energy. There will be a war fought over this, likely starting in Africa. And I hope, I hope that I'm completely wrong. I hope that the African leaders in ECOWAS, and the head of which being Nigeria, which is where my, my parents and my heritage comes from, I hope that they get a little bit of sense and realize that countries like France and a lot of European colonial countries have for years Africa, and intentionally so. Intentionally so to the point that it is their mission to keep Africa poor so that they have the reliance. And I hope that they wake up. I hope that they see it. And I hope that what we're seeing in Africa right now in terms of the gusto, the, 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 the courage to stand up and say, look, we don't want to send you our uranium France. But what you can do is you can build a facility here where we employ our people. We can then pipe it to you. We'll pipe the energy to you. 
And that gives at least a little bit of leverage to them and some economic stability and development for them as well. Russia forgiving billions, hundreds of billions of, of dollars of debt, worth of debt to a group of African countries only goes to strengthen that relationship and build trust. Something that these countries have never, ever had before. They've never had a true partnership. And that, that's where it feels China and Russia are playing. And it's a huge risk. Look, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We went through a lot. I would love to hear what you think in the comments. Share your thoughts. Do you agree? Do you disagree? I'm sure there'll be people who disagree, but let's have a conversation down in the comments if you're there on YouTube. And if you are interested to have a conversation with me, listening to this on the podcast, on Apple, on Spotify, then by all means, DM me. But guys, remember, money is a tool. Life is for living. I'll catch you next Monday. <laughs>